Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. What is up, Chicago Bulls fans, and welcome to the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast on the Hoop Ball Network. My name is Greg Mraz, your host, as per usual. A couple of housekeeping items. Make sure that you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. They help our metrics tremendously. My guest today, our third guest on the podcast, he is the host of Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. He is an NBA content producer and one of the best basketball minds I know. You can follow him on Twitter at NaismithLives. It is Mr. Adam Stanko. Mr. Stanko, what is going on, my friend? Oh, Greg, it's so good to be on this program. I'm really glad that you asked me uh, and humbled by that introduction. That is, uh, that is otherworldly, so thank you. Also, I left out of the intro only one of two people in the entire world that refers to me as Mulligan. So I am totally good with that as well. I screwed up by leaving that out of the intro, but wanted to throw that out there as well. You're not going to say who the other person is who calls you Mulligan? I'll put it out there right now, and maybe we can get him on the show at some point. Mm -hmm. Don McClain, NBA veteran, Pac-12's all-time leading scorer, UCLA legend. Hopefully, he will be on the show at some point Mm -hmm. as well. But, Adam, you follow the NBA inside and out. I know you from being able to break down college basketball and analyze storylines, but where your passion really lies is in the NBA. And I wanted to bring you on from a national perspective and also a microcosm of what the Chicago Bulls season is. And I said on my last episode, when the NBA owners approved the 22-team restart plan, that it was very good that the Bulls were not a part of this, given all of the changes that have happened within the organization over this COVID time. Do you agree that it is good for the future of the Chicago Bulls that they are not going to resume this season? Yeah, I do agree. I mean, I, I think that, well, look, I mean, with anytime you have a young team, you always want guys to get time on the court. So the one thing that is going to be missing is the chance for that young core to get an opportunity to get more minutes, and, and really try to work out some of the kinks, gain some confidence, work on parts of their game that now that they were officially out of the playoff hunt, that they could have really, really worked on and gotten minutes on the court because there really is no way to replicate uh, time on the court. And that would, would have been huge. So Kobe White, who actually worked out for Don McClain, and I'm a huge Kobe White fan, uh, the rest of that young core, you talk about, I mean, Zach Levine doesn't necessarily need that time, but Wendell Carter, Lauer Markkinen, like if those guys had a chance at least to play some games, even in this unusual setup, I think it would have been beneficial to them. But I, I agree. I think in the, in the bigger picture, in the long-term scheme, you think about the organizational changes that needed to take place. Finally, Garpax, while not completely removed from the organization, is no longer in charge. And um, 
now you're in a position where you can you could start over under new management and sort of a new outlook. And we'll have to figure out how how the draft is impacted. We still don't know. We know it's been pushed back at least. Uh, we're looking at like an October date for the for the draft. We know that um, trades have sort of gone out the window. We don't know what the following season is going to look like. Certainly, a shortened NBA season next year seems plausible. So, a lot to take place certainly with this NBA off season. But I think the Bulls getting a head start on it under this new regime, I think, is going to be beneficial for the organization on the whole. When I was looking at all of the reports and Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago, Joe Cowley of the Sun-Times, two of the main Chicago Bulls beat guys, when they said what the Bulls were looking to go out and do when restructuring their front office, they wanted to bring in somebody that had a mix of being able to scout and develop and also be able to attract free agents. And I think they got the perfect combination with Arturis Karnaschovas, who has a phenomenal scouting background, and Mark Eversley, the GM, who has very good relationships with players. He was with Nike for, I believe, almost a decade. What do you feel like is the biggest strength of hiring somebody like a Karnaschovas and somebody like Mark Eversley from what you do know about them? Well, I mean, Karnaschovas played for a friend of mine, P.J. Carlissimo at, at Seton Hall. Uh, excellent player. People, people forget that. Played alongside Adrian Griffin, who people have talked about as as a head coach in this league, assistant for the Raptors. Um, but but Karnaschovas is a guy who, who could really play, could really shoot the ball, 6'9", and as a player did excellent things in Europe, should have played in the NBA, one of those guys that almost before his time, I think, in terms of the uh, European imports. But, but I think uh, what he did in, in Denver and looking at the success they had maximizing their roster, especially with the young core, and – what what I thought stood out and whether it's looking at bringing veterans like Paul Millsap or what have you, I just thought building teams around uh, an unusual sort of roster and, and personnel group, I think is where we saw Karnaschovas excel. And I, I think that's what's critical in today's NBA because in a weird way, every situation in personnel group is unique. And I, certainly for Denver, you know, you have Joker in the middle, you have Jamal Murray, who is an outstanding player. And when those two guys, youthful players, uh, both with unusual skill sets, when you think about the rest of the NBA and guys at their positions, uh, what they did in terms of player development for the other guys, finding guys around them that work, took chances on guys in the draft, going with a player like Michael Porter Jr. Uh, later in, in the draft. I, I just think Denver did a really nice job of not only, had, yeah, sure, had a strong core to build around, but then, putting the right pieces in place and understanding who you had on your roster and not trying to force fit some cookie cutter setup to make it work. And, and I think that's, what's always been critical here with the bulls. Like, I don't think there's been any way to identify who the bulls have been. We, we talk about team identity all the time and your identity can change, but your organizational structure shouldn't, your culture shouldn't. And you look at teams that are successful in this league. And I always say it's an executives league. Now people talk about it being a player's league, they talk about maybe it's not the coaches, but really it comes down to executives. So you look at all the teams that have had success over the last decade in the NBA, and it's certainly the Warriors with Bob Myers, R.C. Buford in San Antonio, uh, Sam Presti in Oklahoma City, Daryl Morey in, in Houston. And the theme that keeps popping up over and over and over again is that they had great executives that had great vision, and they never put themselves in bad positions as far as the salary cap was concerned, they always brought in good young talent. They incorporated that talent to the lineup. 
uh, and they built around the talent that they that they currently had. And, and I think that's where the Bulls have to be and where they've been lacking for, for the last few years. I think one of the positions that the Bulls are going to find themselves in is that they can keep some of their core, but also be able to, in a year, get rid mm-hmm. of a contract like Otto Porter Jr., who is going to be a max guy next year, but once he's off the books in 2021, they have an opportunity to attract a marquee free agent. One of the biggest knocks on the Garpax administration is because of how insular it was and how backstabbing of a culture it felt like they had, whether it was the knowing of the airing of grievances with Vinny Del Negro and Gar Foreman or Tom Thibodeau and John Paxson. There were a lot of issues between management and coaching. For me, my biggest thing that I've argued to my listeners is that by bringing in a brand new front office, you are mm-hmm. changing the image of the Bulls to be a free agent destination. When 2021 comes around and that free agent class that everybody has talked about hits the market, are these the two guys, especially with Eversley, who has a great relationship with agents and with players? And, you know, he was with Nike for almost a decade. Are the Bulls now in a position to where they can acquire marquee free agents, whereas before they really struggled because of the reputation they had around the league? Yeah, there's no doubt about it that that's what has to change in Chicago, the ability to bring in marquee free agents. And it's really, it's, it's really about the things I just talked about. It's, it's having an executive group that players trust. It, it's having a, a core in place that guys want to, play with players that they want to play with and uh it's a culture and 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 when you have all those things in place it's easier to bring in players and also the guys that you bring in you'll maximize what it is that they bring to the table i mean you used to see it all the time with the spurs or even the heat as pat riley obviously i didn't mention him before is is the same way that those organizations are so strong and what they do is they get they bring guys in and everyone goes oh i can't believe they got him too well, it works because they're going to the Spurs or it works because they're going to the Heat because you know what those organizations are going to bring out of those players. So it's twofold. It's not just what the player brings to the organization, but what the organization is going to bring back to the player. And when you look at the Bulls, as you point out, with their roster, Otto Porter Jr. is going to sign, you know, his, uh, his player option for next year. It's nearly $29 million. You've got then the rest of the team, which is just made up of just this young core of guys that you absolutely love. I mean, Zach Levine, 24 years old, Larry Markkinen, under 25. You've got Kobe White, who's 19 years old. I mean, Wendell Carter's 20. You, you look at that group of guys and you go, wow, this, their best players are all under the age of 25, and they're all in great shape in terms of the overall cap. So, yeah, Levine, who's not a free agent until 2022, is is getting paid a chunk of money and he's obviously after Porter like the biggest contract on the books but the fact that you've got Marketing now who's going to be on, on cheap contract for a number of years Carter who's cheap contract for a number of years uh Kobe White who's cheap for a number of years all of those guys and then you got a vet like like Thaddeus Young but but really all those guys those core pieces mean that you have tons of cap flexibility so for them getting veterans if they're smart about who they sign uh, is going to be critical. And who doesn't want to live in Chicago? Who doesn't want to have success again for the Bulls? And, and honestly, it seems crazy, but having an experience like having the whole league and the whole country watch the last dance collectively, 
uh, and, and see the mystique again for Michael Jordan, especially for young players, don't think that that won't factor into guys wanting to have success and come to the Bulls. That is something that matters. There is something to be said about history. And while players of today might not have a strong grip on history, that certainly gave them a wonderful history lesson. So I think that'll impact free agency moving forward too. We're here with Adam Stanko of the Rejecting the Screen podcast here on the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast. And that is a great point because I think by watching the last dance and understanding what the Bulls meant, not just to the NBA, but really to global culture in the 90s, it's as Eversley said, Mark Eversley, the Bulls' new GM, in his introductory press conference, making the Bulls cool again. And I think the last dance did that. But a big part of the Bulls' future is going to be finding that franchise point guard. Is that guy in this upcoming draft, whether it be LaMelo Ball or somebody else, or is that somebody you're going to have to go out and get in free agency? Because Chris Dunn is not that guy. Kobe White, in my opinion, is a combo guard. He's not your true ball-distributing point guard. And Zach Levine has been forced into this creator position that he's really more of an off-guard. So if the Bulls have a pick in this draft, which assumingly is going to be inside the top 10, possibly inside the top five, are you going point guard or are you just going best player available? For me personally, I'm a, I'm a, a gigantic Kobe White fan. So I, I'm working on a future that looks like a backcourt of Kobe White and Zach Levine. And I think you talk about them being co- combo guards. And yes, Kobe White is a combo guard. He's, a, he's almost got the score first mentality. But he's actually a really creative passer. Uh, he's a willing passer. And while you don't, see him fit in the traditional mold of a point guard. I don't know that that's necessary in today's game to be that way. We've seen scoring lead guards who have dominated uh, the NBA. I mean, certainly Dame Lillard fits that, that profile to a T and I'm not saying that Kobe White's Dame Lillard, but I also think Kobe White has just tremendous potential. He's an outstanding shooter. He's incredibly athletic. He can score off the bounce. Uh, You can obviously find people, and he's got this infectious personality. He's a hard worker, great kid. So getting a, a firsthand opportunity to watch this kid in person was unbelievable. And then the reports that were coming back, even when I wasn't watching him from Don McClain, when he worked him out pre-draft, were just, were just out of this world. And, and to give him the ball and just say, hey, you go ahead. We saw it early on. We saw glimpses of it throughout the season. We saw him hit some, some rookie wall slumps. But I, I think he's the guy to me. And I think the fact that Zach Levine has played point guard, both having some time at UCLA doing that, we've seen him do that somewhat in the pros. I think the two of them can share those responsibilities and trade off. And if it's a smaller two, then maybe Kobe White guards that guy on the defensive end. Uh, and, and, you know, you can, you can flip. But to have an athletic backcourt that can shoot the ball like the both of those guys can, they can handle it. They can both distribute. They're both athletic. I think to me, that's the backcourt of the future. I wouldn't even mess with the guard in this draft. Now, not that being said, you, you want to start to dive into this draft and say, okay, who's available? Who are you looking at? And, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk about Killian Hayes uh, from overseas. Obviously, you mentioned LaMelo Ball, who is going to be in the running for the number one pick. Uh, Cole Anthony had gotten a lot of attention as a, as a guy who's going to be top 10, and it's totally dropped out both because of injury concerns and then guys not liking reports that were coming back from sort of a character perspective. But in terms of his work ethic, I don't question that at all. I, I'm huge on Cole Anthony, unlike a lot of the people uh, that are viewing this draft. And so 
a couple ways that I would look at this are, first of all, with a lottery pick, I do not, I am not touching a point guard if I am the Bulls. I, I am going instead. There are plenty of athletic bigs. Uh, and if you're not going to head in that direction, you have some interesting wing players. Tyrese Halliburton, who also people consider playing a point guard position, but he's a guy at Iowa State who, well, his jumper needs some help. He, he was productive in college, but it's, it's not going to work out as well in the pros. Has incredible vision. And he could be a guy who could play alongside of Kobe White and Zach Levine. You could go a three-guard backcourt with the three of them. Um, he's athletic, too, but just has a wonderful feel for the game. Probably the best feel of anybody, I think, in this draft. Uh, and then you look at the guys that, that are up top, potentially, like Obi Toppin, James Wiseman, that I think can play five in, in a modern NBA who provide different skill sets at the five. And then Anthony Edwards, who's an explosive wing player who really is one of the best pure scorers in this in this draft and, and certainly has an NBA physique right now. So I'm not touching point guard, to be honest with you. If I'm the Bulls, I don't think that's an, an area need for them because of Kobe White, because Zach Levine, because both of them can handle it. Uh, and, and I think if you are going to target a point guard, I think you start looking at one later and guys that are going to be available. You start looking at some Pac-12 players who are going to slip in this draft. So if it's not Cole Anthony, maybe later in the first round that you target or early second, maybe it's um, – Maybe it's a guy like Nico Mannion or Peyton Pritchard or even to stay on the West Coast, uh, Malachi Flynn, you know, San Diego State. So those point guards, good, talented lead guards who can run a second unit, I think are going to be available in this draft. And I would sort of look at them if you're going to draft one. I certainly wouldn't want to take one of those guys in the lottery. A couple of guys that I wanted to ask you about, one of them that you and I have seen a lot of, one not as much if you wanted to get deeper in the post, everybody's been talking about Onyeko Kongwu, who may be available to the Bulls if he drops outside the top five. And then if you're thinking about the future at the three position, maybe a stretch four, Auburn's Isaac Okoro. Who do you think, if the Bulls are given the option between either one of those guys, would be a better fit? You know, it's really tough. I, I, I really like, obviously, the future of Lowry Markinen. Uh, Wendell Carter. I mean, we, we, we just went through the whole course. We talked about the backcourt, the Bulls frontcourt also, that, that young core. I just think they need time to gel. And so, again, it goes back to that question about them not having time on the court. I think, I think first of all, when you look at uh, Kongwu, you're talking about a guy obviously explosive uh, from a big perspective. And what's weird is in today's NBA, you sort of say, all right, if a guy's going to play the five, they have to be able to switch defensively they have to be able to move their feet they have to be athletic but certainly you want to be able to play in a way four out and one guy and you want want one guy that's a rim protector who's really going to protect the basket and so if you don't feel like Wendell Carter is that guy or certainly a guy that could play alongside Wendell Carter um it does does a Kongwu sort of fit that mold and 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 if he does can you also go big and sort of play the three of them where you may have some issues with guarding wings but but it would also cause some problems for defenses as Lowry marketing can step outside, stretch the floor. And then you got two bigs who are athletic and Carter and a Kongwu that sets some interesting options up. Plus it adds depth to your, to your front court. So he's certainly an interesting prospect, I think for the bulls, when you start talking about a core, you're talking about just an athlete who's improved so much and is excellent defensively at Auburn six, six wing, uh, a guy who who's really talented. And I think he fits really well with, with the bulls. So, have tried to do and it's weird because you look at what they've done they've tried to find that wing player who is sort of like a jack of all trades over the last few years and for some reason or another 
it just hasn't fit with the guys that they've brought in, whether it's Chandler Hutchinson, uh, certainly Denzel Valentine. I mean, it, it, they just haven't found that right guy to play this sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of a, the good comp um, for a player like that. But, but oftentimes you can find a player in the league who, who can guard multiple positions, who can handle the ball if you need them to, certainly good defensively, adds to the offense, doesn't take anything away offensively, adds athleticism to your team, adds the ability to run the floor. I think Akuro does all those things, and he's really like this hidden gem that people hadn't spoken a lot about, and obviously he can defend. And anytime that you have a guy that, that's played under Bruce Pearl, uh, they're going to be able to defend. And I, I think that's going to be a big thing for the Bulls. That's often case for young teams, just, you know, how well do defensive guys uh, acclimate, let's say. So you really – young teams need to know how to buckle down, lock in defensively, especially when they start to get into playoff scenarios and they start to learn how to win. And so having a guy like a Kuro for that purpose too would be huge. So for me, I, I think I probably would lean and, and go Kuro if, if that's where the Bulls were selecting and that's who was available um, and, and you sort of continue to build with the guys that you, that you have in place. I, I, I don't think the Bulls need an overall. I think you get a guy like that. You improve defensively. You already have some key pieces in place. You continue to grow. You get the right coach in position. You bring in some vets. And I think the Bulls are in the right direction. And so it's never been for me about the talent on the floor for the Bulls. It's been the mismanagement up top. We're here with Adam Stanko of the Rejecting the Screen podcast here on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. And you bring up coaching, which is a great segue for me. It has pretty much been implied by everybody that covers the Bulls and by the fact that the Bulls restructure the front office that the Bulls are going in a different direction at coach. Jim Boylan has the second worst winning percentage of any coach in franchise history that has coached at least 100 games. Two main candidates stick out in my mind, and it's because of the relationships with two of the new executives. You've got Adrian Griffin in Toronto, who mm -hmm. played with Arturis Karnaschovas at Seton Hall, and somebody that league-wide is regarded as a future NBA head coach. Then in Philadelphia, you've got Ime Udoka, the assistant coach that has also been in San Antonio under Greg Popovich, has a good relationship with Mark Eversley, and somebody else that is ticketed to at one day, maybe not as fast as Griffin, but potentially being an NBA head coach. Those are the two guys that I look at and see as the best guys to potentially lead this franchise in this new direction. So my question for you is, should it be one of those two guys, or is there somebody else out there that you think would be a better fit? Because from what I can tell, you hire either Griffin or Udoka, and you're in a good position to win now and in the future. I think you bring up a great point. I think, I think both of those guys could, could absolutely have success. They're both highly regarded. They're both former players. Both guys had a great feel for the game. Um, and they've been in, in winning situations. And both of them, when you talk to their peers right now in terms of what they're doing coaching-wise, Doka in Philadelphia and, and Adrian Griffin in Toronto, their peers will tell you they're ready. They, they should be head coaches right now, should get that opportunity. And obviously a knock about the Garpax regime, one of them was, and this is before even the events that have transpired over the last few weeks, was a lack of diversity, certainly diversity of thought within the, the Bulls organization. And that's something that would, would change instantly if all of a sudden you bring in a head coach who's, who's a minority. And I think that would be be gigantic and it would send a great message in terms of this is the direction that – 
that we're headed. And you think about the coaches that were in place and, and under the executive team. I mean, everything was run by Reinsdorf and sort of his kind of guys and his co his tree that he was set up with under Jerry Krause. So, I mean, you're going back since like 85 and, and what Reinsdorf had set up for this, this organization. So now you go in a completely different direction. I think the big key though, for both those guys, if, if it is one of them, would be that management would have to have their back and not in a token way, not, not saying that they're going to do that, not winning the press conference, but really instilling confidence in them and saying, hey, we're with you for the long haul. This, you're new head coaches, and we're going to give you an opportunity to really succeed here. It's not going to be a two-year plan. It's not a three-year plan. We're giving you five years off the bat, and we're going to have confidence in you for five years, and we're not taking questions otherwise as we continue to grow. And it doesn't put a stranglehold on you. It, it says to free agents and it says to the organization and it says from a top-down mentality, not that you won't hold those guys accountable if they don't have success, but, but you're saying, I'm not going to give you this, this short leash. I'm going to give you the opportunity to coach your way and build our, a new culture here. Because again, that's what's needed. And you, you know, you, the, the, the Spurs, for instance, and I, I, I hearken back to them because they're the model franchise for the NBA Everyone knows what they're getting with the Spurs. In the offseason, the workouts, Spurs guys work out together. They, it's, it's, it's optional, but you need to work out under their, their, uh, their, their view. Um, you you want to do something different. You want to have discussions. If it, from the top down, it's talked about, whether it's their G League team or what have you, if it's targeting free agents. The Spurs are constantly on message. They constantly do things together. And there's always buy-in from everyone that's together in the organization. We just did a podcast on rejecting the screen a few weeks ago, talking to um, Chad Ford, uh, the, the, obviously the NBA draft guru. And one of the things that we discussed with him was how oftentimes there's a disconnect in organizations between the general managers and the executives and the, and the coaches. And one of the things he told us was that there are a few instances in the league right now where general managers and coaches are not speaking to each other. Never mind not getting along and not having agreement on the players they want to draft or what the personnel grouping should look like moving forward, but rather they're not talking to each other at all. You can't win like that. And that's going to happen when you're in a poor culture. That's going to set up for a losing situation. That's not happening with the teams at the top. Those teams at the top are unified. And, and that, that starts with the executives, general manager on, and you know it starts up top. And then your team president, basketball operations, your general manager goes to the scouts, coaching staff, uh, trainers, and, uh, and down onto the players. And all of those have to be aligned. And, and I think the Bulls have had a chance now because you know you're out of the running for this season. You have a chance to start looking towards the future, as you talked about off the top of this podcast. And if you're doing that and you get one of those coaches, you have to commit to them. And obviously there have been other names that have brought up. There's a report out the last couple of days, Bill Self, maybe a coach for the Chicago Bulls. He'd be really interesting. Uh, but again, just like we saw with the Cavs and, and their young GM took the chance on John Beeline, there was no support from up top from the start. And it was a situation that was destined to fail because if you're not supporting your head coach, it's not going to work, especially if you're taking a college guy. And so whatever the Bulls decide to do, they have to commit to that coach give them every opportunity to succeed and let players inside and outside the organization know this is what we're doing moving forward. And I agree with you when you talk about the relationships because at least from my view, the relationships between 
the previous front office, the Garpax administration, was never good with a guy like a Vinny Del Negro or a Tom Thibodeau. And even though it was good at the start with Fred Hoiberg, that blew up. And the only reason why Jim Boylan is in position right now is that he had a good relationship and was willing to effectively be the front man for the Garpax regime. And, like, we never saw Gar Foreman speak in public after two years ago. Like, you hardly ever saw him set foot in front of a microphone, and people started to have a distrust of him. There was an incident at the night where they honored Luol Deng where a bunch of former players come back. I think Joe Kim Noah amongst them that says that Gar was basically aloof, wasn't talking to guys, they felt disrespected. So I think you bring up a really good point about making sure that you bring in somebody that you have the backing of, you're committing to for the long term, and have the understanding, look, we're not expecting you to win right now, but we need this team to be in a position to be competitive year in and year out, four to five years down the line, And I think that the understanding of that is going to make the committal of this coach a lot easier for the Bulls. So I I think you bring up a really good point there. Yeah, and I'll I'll further that, Greg, and say, like, I mean, everyone looks at free agents and they say, okay, let's take the Lakers out of that because they're an unusual setup in terms of being in L.A. and they have some built-in advantages and what have you, and obviously – the history that's there but outside of that you say why do certain organizations get marquee free agents and if you look at the recent history of look last off season we saw more player movement than we ever did i mean it felt like the whole league switched teams and everyone was changing hands and all that the the reason that top tier free agents were moving was because there's a young talented core and they like the direction that the organization is heading in Players are more knowledgeable now about circumstances than they ever were before. They understand environments. And so it's no longer just about money or just about what's the state income tax, which is what the agents in the past would would give them the information about. Players now have a greater understanding. They've been empowered and they have a greater understanding, not just of their marketing potential, but also what can I do to put myself in a winning situation? And so you look at, uh, DeAndre Jordan and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn and you say, well, why did that happen? Well, because they had a great collection of young talent that hadn't necessarily found a ton of success yet, but they, they felt like they were on the cusp and an organization that felt pretty strong top down. Now they, now they got rid of Kenny Atkinson, which is funny because he's been a name that surfaced for, for the Bulls job. Um, and they wanted to go in a different direction after trying out a player development coach. They didn't give a long-term gig to, and maybe that was influenced by Durant. I'm sure it was. And by Kyrie, I'm sure they had something to do with that. But it's the idea that it's a young core of players and a team that because of the organizational structure looked like they were going to have success in the future. Clippers, well, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard going anywhere, you're going to have immediate success. You know, obviously, Kevin Durant being hurt meant that that wasn't going to be the case in Brooklyn. But again, same thing with the Clippers. Like, you look at that core and say, okay, Yes, there's Lou Williams, but it's also the young guys. It's the Montrez Harrells of the world uh, and uh, Landry Shamets of the world that, like, all of a sudden now you're saying, okay, there's some talent there. And even deep down on the bench when you talk about Kevin Gelly and Terrence Mann. So I, I just think that that's a key piece that you bring up is that it just has to be understood that we're committed to this group and it's, we're committed to the coaching staff 
We're committed to what we have moving forward. It's not that we're going to win a championship next year to, to attract a great free agent. And in fact, oftentimes, free agents are look, looking at situations in which they're not going like KD. They saw the backlash of what happened with KD. Even KD knows what the backlash of where he went. It's almost like, can I go to a new spot and try to find success? And then that's where you factor in the last dance, which I know sounds ridiculous. How could a documentary influence where guys are going to go? Guys have left for situations for a lot crazier reasons than because they saw what Michael Jordan did in, in Chicago. And so I think for players, it's going to be an intriguing place to go, man, I could live in Chicago I could get the Bulls back to prominence and get to play with some really super talented guys. That's attractive for a lot of free agents. And so I think it was Gar Pax before that was a hindrance to players going. And now if they know that the ownership group has confidence in Karnaschovas, then I think that that'll flip and they'll say instead, Karnaschovas is the reason I'm going to go there. The executors aren't the reason that I'm not going to go. I want to shift to a national perspective now because last week, we get the news that the owners approve the 22-team restart plan at Disney World in Orlando in the bubble, as everybody is referring to it. And just as soon as this past Friday, we hear of this call after reports surfaced that a range of 40 to 50 players, at least that's what I saw from the Adrian Wojnarowski tweet, are hesitant about this plan. And then it comes out that Kyrie Irving is on this call and is basically saying that he's not going for this. And there are many players that are feeling the same way that he does. And that now you're seeing a spike in COVID cases. Obviously the black lives matter protests are also having a big influence on this. Do you think that we're playing NBA basketball on July 30th? Uh I don't think we're going to see a return to the, to the NBA. And that's a pessimistic viewpoint. And I, I hate saying that because I would love to see the games being played. The number one reason for me personally is that, uh, and maybe I'm on the opposite end of where the country is right now on the spectrum, but I'm fearful about where we're headed when you look at the amount of COVID-19 cases and you start to look at the data and what's, what's come out over the last few weeks. And the states that have reopened quickly and, and anecdotally, I mean, I have a brother and one of my best friends, uh, my brother's family, and, and one of my best friends both live in, in Charlotte. And they say that, and they've shown me pictures and video, like you go out and it's like, there's people aren't wearing masks. They, it's almost like everyone said, oh, it's over. We're good now. And then you look at the cases in North Carolina over the last week and you go, wow, this place is exploding right now. Uh, Florida is sort of going through the same thing. Their governor put out some some false information and now you're looking at their cases are exploding as people, they haven't necessarily taken it seriously for a, a huge portion of time. And, and I'm on the West coast in the Bay area where we've done a great job and cases have slowly dwindled uh, to where we're, we're at very few numbers, very few deaths, but I have very close friends in New York city and it's in the wild New York city has done great because everyone had to stick to it. There was this massive fear that took place. And I don't think that we saw that around the country. And so I don't blame people individually because I think, it's hard to have that perspective. If no one you know has this and it feels monotonous and after a while you go, man, I, I just, this isn't good for my family. It's not good for my kids. I need to get outside. I need to go to restaurants. It's not good for local business. I understand all that. Uh, but so that part of me says, just cause you feel that way, doesn't 
you know, the, the virus doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care, you know, and it doesn't care if you're going out for peaceful protests or, or what have you. It, at the end of the day, if you're near people at close proximity and you're not wearing masks, or even if you are, but if you're around a large group of people and you're very close, it's going to spread. And so we're now seeing those numbers go up. So, so there's that reason, which top of mind for me. Uh, but now you have this other side, which is, look, for a lot of reasons, people want to be back on the court. It's, it, it's a lot of jobs. It's, it's professionally for you and I, Greg. I, I want to see it back, so I probably shouldn't even be speaking in these terms. But I also look at it like there's arena workers, there's, um, you know, ticket sales people, there's obviously everyone associated from production standpoint, TV rights people. There's so many television production jobs and so many entertainment jobs that, that rely, not to mention even jobs within the league and within each organization, that rely on the NBA coming back and playing again. And if we don't have the NBA, and then forget if you don't have football in the fall, like our industry of sports television production is, is going to collapse. And, and the economy is going to collapse as well. We're already seeing, obviously, you know, major unemployment and all that. I just, and I'm extremely fearful, but nothing, nothing as, a, as a parent of four, nothing surpasses the, the health risks. And I think that's the thing that Kyrie Irving might be the wrong guy to lead that charge because of things that have happened in his past and people talking about how he was as a teammate and how he was to a coaching staff. And there was a lot that went on, you know, deviated septum surgery, emergency surgery, which doesn't even exist apparently he wasn't with the team during playoff series we've seen a bunch of stuff happen with Kyrie Irving whether it was his time in Cleveland and him wanting to be the alpha and then you know him talking about how he'd spoke to LeBron and and he was trying to get the young guys and send a message he might be the wrong messenger but I think he is is definitely on to something and I think he's being honest about what he's saying that a lot of players young players and certainly young black players feel like, hey, this is impacting us. And so while we haven't seen anyone in the NBA get very, very sick, at least not publicly, we've seen a lot of people obviously contract this and get cases. We saw it from Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Kevin Durant. What we, we haven't seen, though, or hasn't been talked about enough publicly is the families and friends that have been impacted. So DJ Bango, who played in the NBA, lost a sister to COVID-19. Carl uh, Anthony Towns lost his mother. To COVID-19. So the people that are around uh, urban hotspots, cities that have been impacted or friends, family, they have a different perspective on this than those that haven't. And I think there is a, a large portion of the NBA that is very scared. And by the way, the bubble is not truly a bubble if the people, let's say, maintaining the hotels aren't quarantined themselves. And so you talk about the people in the NBA bubble and it's, yes, yes, it's the players. And yes, you're talking about a roster of 15 and you talk about a coaching staff and you can kind of limit the numbers and their friend, their close family and who's that going to be. But also I start to think about who's going to tell LeBron's family that they're not able to go and go out and interact with people and who's keeping tabs on those things. What's that going to lead to? There's still so many variables for the NBA. And like I said, if the people maintaining those hotels, which has been a recent report, aren't going to be quarantined themselves, then really you're still adding exposure into that, into that bubble. So uh, I love the idea by the NBA. They've been on the forefront of this. Adam Silver was the first one to set this in motion to start with when he suspended play. And he, he put the world on notice that this was a serious, serious virus. And uh, he saved a lot of lives. I feel like the NBA saved a lot of lives by getting everyone to understand how important it was. 
on the flip side, if he can get this done, it'd be amazing. And I think we'd all like to see it happen. But I am pessimistic because there's still a lot up in the air. I have to agree with you. And I'll say this. When you talk about your personal perspective of, of being a father and being worried about the health risks, I am someone who is immunocompromised. Uh, I have an immune system that does not work properly. So to me, when I see people not taking this seriously and not taking every situation into account when it comes to the health and safety of everybody involved, that concerns me. When you talk about the way that Florida and specifically their governor has responded to everything throughout the course of COVID-19, I understand that Disney is a rights partner with the NBA. Florida was the wrong place to do this. So if they can't do it in Florida at Disney World, given all the players' concerns and given the situations down there, is there another place you think you can do it? Or is the NBA effectively going to have to say, we've got to put a stop to this season because we've fully come to understand that with a second wave of the virus potentially coming, that there's no way that what we've set out can come to fruition. And it's June 14th when we're recording this. Tomorrow's June 15th when we'll release this. We basically are in a span of 45 days to where the NBA has to make a decision on whether or not they're going to execute their plan as they had planned last week when they said July 30th is when we're getting started. So is there another place they can do this? Can they effectively do what MLB wants to do and play in empty stadiums in home cities? I just think that limiting the travel is going to be the best course of action, but I don't know where, what other secluded environment you could potentially have. I mean, heck, maybe if you were to find a domed stadium somewhere, I don't know, maybe you could go to Houston and do it. I don't know. There's, there's so many different possibilities that you could throw up in the air. I don't know if there's any idea that's determinably the best idea. Well, I think, I mean, the reason that this area worked was because there was so much private property that Disney has that they can actually basically put you in a quarantine setup. They can sequester you, but essentially still have you get a lot of land that the perimeter, it's crazy. So that it, it set itself up really well for, for making this work. It's just that the surrounding community now we're starting to see these numbers go up and up and up and we've seen a lot of disinformation and now it could set up this environment where, yeah, you may be safe within the bubble, but if you venture outside of that and who's going to be the ones to, to police that, that from happening, that's really going to be the question. I think at this point, I mean, there was talk about Vegas early on, obviously that was the other big one. Uh, but Vegas is also a dangerous spot because it's, it's the one place in which people are coming from all over the country, all over the world to go, to go visit constantly. Uh, it's, it's another area where not only do you have to worry about what the local community is bring, has, let's say, but it's what visitors are bringing to that, to that community. So while that was talked about and while that's maybe a possibility too, I think because of the time and the research and the involvement and, and the ownership groups getting together and the players association weighing in, I think because, and what LeBron wants, all those things, reaching a point of, hey, we made this work. So much had to come together just to get them to agree to come up and have an actual plan that to move locations at this point for this season 
I think it'll have to be scrapped. I think it's at this point it's Orlando or bust. And so now you start saying to yourself, okay, if it's, if we, they do decide to scrap it, it now has to be fully put into motion. What needs to happen if you decide like my thing would be if I'm Adam Silver, okay, if we can't get Orlando done, what is it that we can do so we can start play next year? And one of the things that's been talked about for a long time, obviously, has been changing the NBA calendar. And instead of starting in October, you would start in December and push the NBA back and sort of towards the end of the NFL season, which is something that's been talked about around the league forever, but they've been hesitant to do it. And, and looking at maybe games get t- cut down a, sh- a small amount. Uh, they've limited the back-to-backs, but even trying to do that even more to extend – the, uh, the amount of opportunities the players are playing every day. Like the, the NBA understands that, that load management is, if it's a successful strategy, how can the NBA be a part of making that work long-term so it also doesn't impact the fans? Load management works, then, okay, well, let's work with the players and see why that works. And, you know, just like pitch counts make sense uh, to use a baseball term for you there, Greg, because I know it's, uh, what kind of baseball guy you are. So, so I think I think that – I think it's a possibility that we could see play in Orlando uh, a lot still up in the air. And like I said, I mean, LeBron James and, and Patrick Beverly just had this quote over the last couple of days where he said, Hey, LeBron wants to hoop. We're hooping. You know, everyone understands the influence LeBron James has on the league and LeBron would love nothing more than to get ring number four. while he still has an opportunity. He knows that at this point in his career, he is one bad step away from an Achilles injury like Kobe had late in his career. He's, He's one bad move away from an ACL injury that all of a sudden his career is effectively done and his opportunity for a ring is done. And if Anthony Davis were to leave LA after this year, I mean, this is his opportunity. LeBron wants this ring so bad. He wants to will this to happen. And so regardless of the fact that there won't be home court advantage, regardless of the fact that there'll be a completely different setup when they get to Orlando and that the the season will probably have an asterisk next to it, at least for the first five or 10 years is my co-host Noah Kozlov and I have talked about many years many times like it may have an asterisk now 15 years from now people will forget what was the year that that was with the COVID year and they still had the shortened season and people will forget uh what year it actually took place so so when you factor all that together LeBron wants to play and that's going to be a heavy influence and I think the league may end up playing but I think if you want to switch the city in which it's being played, I think it's too late for that. And so you'd have to now just start working to what happens next year. Because as you start to mention, you talk about the travel and, and now you're putting guys on planes and NBA players get exposed to more fans and, and handlers and agents and bodyguards and, and buddies from home than anybody like they, they, their sphere is huge. And so if they become carriers, even if they're not sick themselves, they infect a lot of other people, which is also a big reason why they were tested before a lot of the general public was. And it put people up in arms and they were like, oh, why are all the jazz players getting tested? It's like jazz players get exposed to a lot of the general public. Like if you want to find out if they, they have the virus, let's, let's make sure they're quarantined because they can be dangerous carriers more so than uh, people that you might put on a, a higher uh, priority scale. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Stanko of the Rejecting the Screen podcast. He hosts it with his good friend, Noah Kozlov. Go hit that subscribe button over there. It is one of the most intelligent basketball conversations bi-weekly or multiple times a week, I should say, that you will find 
in the podcast sphere. I highly recommend it. They've got great interviews, great discourse, and some of the most intelligent basketball talk they will find. Adam, appreciate you again joining us today. I mean, Mulligan, uh, this was um, riveting, and I love what you're doing, and uh, I love this podcast, and uh, I hope it just explodes as the Bulls continue to explode. I have hope. I think that's the one thing. If, if no message was clear during this conversation, I have hope about what the future of the Chicago Bulls looks like, probably for the first time in, in a long time. I think you're doing great work, and uh, I always love talking to you, my friend. Appreciate you very much, Mr. Stanko. Adam Stanko, everybody. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Have a great week, and as always, Go Bulls! This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.